Welcome everyone to the Impact Michigan podcast presented by Intermittent. Intermittent is a grassroots volunteer-operated organization that was founded in 2016. Our mission is to unite the Midwest tech community, thoughtfully nurture its development, and highlight it as a hub of and destination for entrepreneurial talent and innovation. Today's episode is real fun. We get to chat with Jeff Epstein, the founder of Ambassador, which is the number one referral marketing software platform. They were recently acquired by West Corp, and Jeff has since moved on from the company. We get to catch up with him a few months after the acquisition and chat about his next phase of life, reflect on his time being a pioneer of the Detroit startup scene, and we even talk about the ingenuity needed to get through a recession. This one is pretty heavy hitting, so get ready, folks. Let's begin. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, so I always like to have um, my guests just start the episode off just by giving uh, the listeners just some context on your life. So uh, your life, your career, uh, your professional happenings, uh, what's happening now. So for the listeners, who is Jeff Epstein? Yeah, so I uh, grew up in Metro Detroit, went to West Bloomfield High School, uh, went to Michigan State after, um, started, uh, always have been pretty entrepreneurial. I um, started a website called eatsparty.com back when I was just a uh, freshman, sophomore in college. And it was, believe it or not, the internet was just, we just had <laughs> ethernet the first year you I moved in the dorms. <laughs> yeah. So it was like amazing that we didn't have dial up. And it was like literally everything from online ordering, which was pretty revolutionary at the time, which I didn't stick with, to like message boards and like ways to find out where to go find sp- like sports information online, which was actually not obvious at the time because there was really no Google or anything like that. So um, started there, uh, went to law school in Chicago after, uh, continued uh, building a couple companies, uh, one of which led to Ambassador, which I'll kind of talk about in a minute, but um, was really just an affiliate website for the poker space back when online poker was really popular and I was really into it. And um, But after law school in Chicago, um, Realized I didn't want to practice law, had six figures in debt, uh, and had this 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 company, and I actually sold it to pay off my loans, and then moved back um, to Michigan. And that was when I met up with a with an old friend of mine from high school who had lived in the valley and had been kind of into the startup world that I didn't even know existed. And he really started talking to me about start the startup kind of world, and and uh, he was the one who founded Future Midwest, and and I eventually got involved with. Uh, funded by night but that was really how i got into the whole startup game so to speak um and kind of fast forward a couple years later uh, i started ambassador based on kind of this notion that people could refer their friends and it was this really amazing thing that again is very obvious today but wasn't obvious when kind of the internet was just at its beginnings and it was before really before facebook and twitter and those things so um that was kind of uh i guess how i got to ambassador ambassador uh, for those who don't know, is a B2B SaaS uh, based in Royal Oak. And we help companies track and manage referrals, worked with companies like Hulu and HP and, and, and you know, hundreds of other big, big companies as well. Um, and uh, eventually, uh, just recently sold the company and 
I had my, my, my last day in December, which is the end of December, which is very strange. So I've been um, unemployed or, you know, been retired or whatever you want to call it, looking for my next thing um, since January 1st. And uh, yeah, so that's my story. Yeah, yeah, I love that. So so to take it back all the way back to, to East Sparty, I'm actually curious, like what, we don't have to go too much into the psychology of it unless you want to, yeah. but like when you were like kind of growing up and, and you had been in college, like freshman year when you started East Sparty, like was there a specific sort of like discovery you made that like made you want to start East Sparty or were you like in high school, like seeing this sort of internet thing like happen and like, um, you know, the ubiquity of it all and like saying oh like this is really cool like how did that sort of come to fruition i guess is my question yeah and it's funny so i always so my grandpa started a lumber business in detroit so my family and my, and my dad he's a dentist but he also um owned a cleaners actually at one point like and 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 uh he was so my family themselves and my uncle started like a clothing store and eventually ended up working in the family lumber business so my entire life, I've kind of been around entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship. So it wasn't necessarily a scary thing. Um, I wish I had like some epiphany that the internet was like, I did think the internet was going to be big. And it's it's, it's ironic. My mom worked at uh, AT&T. And so she had access to the internet in kind of in quotes, but I had a computer one time we went to when I was, you know, 10 or 12 years old. So in the early 90s, and I was able to, she was like, you want to go on the World Wide Web? And I like went on it. And it was like, all text and it was like books and an article it was just like articles and things that weren't even interesting to me but I I had this access and I didn't know what to do with it um, so it wasn't anything like that to be honest it was really I'd always been interested in starting my own business or um, doing something with the family business and unfortunately by the time I was in college basically our business the the family business basically went under base you know because of really the economy was really tough in, in the you know 2000 so um, I didn't, I, I, you know, I, I was just, I guess I wasn't scared, uh, which I think a lot of people are scared of the risk. I was totally willing to risk a, a lot, uh, you know, reputationally and financially. Um, and so that was really how I got into East Party. It wasn't some amazing thing. It was like, oh, this is something that could be really helpful. And at the time, I thought it was cool more so than I wish I would have known what I know now. I could have actually turned it into something, but it was really just something that I spent money on and mostly kind of floundered around unfortunately it wasn't very successful or did anything noteworthy yeah so let's talk about um while you were at college like as you were what did you major in uh so i majored in political economics mm-hmm. uh so I, I did a dual degree i actually never got my political economics degree sadly although i did like the entire everything but the language component which i you know i hated language so <laughs> uh unfortunately then i also did business so i really mm-hmm. had two degrees i technically finished with my business degree and then got into law school so I didn't have to like I never actually graduated the second degree gotcha okay so so was your focus in college then to like go to law school be a lawyer or was there something else yeah I, I in, a, in a lot of ways I didn't know what I wanted to do I and in hindsight I wouldn't have done what I did but um, I I graduated everyone's like you should you like to like debate and you like to argue you should be a lawyer. It was kind of like the feedback that I got. And I was like, okay, you know, like it seemed like a thing that I should do. My parents were like happy with it. I was in like a school. I was in James Madison MSU, which was like more of like a political science type of school. And that was 
although I was in business school as well, I really spent a lot more time and it was a lot harder. So I spent a lot more energy on those things than, than business, which I think just came more natural. And um, so that was what I gravitated toward. And a lot of people were going to law school and I just thought, hey, look, let's go. Like in hindsight, I probably should have taken a year to figure out what I wanted to do with my life and, and kind of learn about the world. But I just dove in, went and, you know, kind of realized pretty quickly I didn't want to be there or didn't want to do it really when I graduated. And unfortunately, by then I had a lot of debt and um, got lucky to work my way out of it. Yeah, let's let's dive into that a little bit more because I think it's really interesting to, to explore the sort of, because I feel like especially now, like you don't go into like an office building and talk to like 10 graduates and, and find like a minority of them not having loans, you know, right. student loans and student debt. So like what was the mindset that you had like, You'd mentioned that you weren't necessarily scared. Not, I don't think that was that may or may not have been in reference to this. But you know, what was the sort of mind frame of a young Jeff Epstein coming out of law school, saying, "Oh man, I'm you know six figures in debt. Like, what do I do?" And like, you had started a company and um, eventually like sold it to pay off your loans. Like, let's 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 kind of like reverse engineer that. Like, what yeah. what exactly from your sort of mindset was was the case there? Yeah. And so I guess thinking about it now, and, and I've actually put some thought in this because I, as I often think about like, what are the limitations for people to start companies and what is, what is the mindset or what advantages that I have versus other people? And I think, you know, it was interesting because I grew up probably like upper middle class, um, pretty fortunate, like didn't really need any, you know, didn't have like any needs really as, as, as you know, a teenager, so to speak. Um, but then I get to, so by the time I graduated, co graduated high school and into college, like my family was in sort of turmoil in terms of this business going under and really everything my, you know, my parents had really expected to have going forward, not, not necessarily being the case. So it was, it was an interesting thing where all of a sudden I went from, oh, like it's pretty important to not have these big loans, right? And I didn't, I didn't even know if I would necessarily have to pay for a law school on my own at one point in time. Like I never thought about it, mm -hmm. uh, which is really lucky. But in the end of the day, like I had to pay for almost all of it, mm -hmm. more than all of it. But even like some of the living expenses and living in Chicago versus living in, you know, East Lansing was a very significant difference. So it quickly became this thing where uh, like I was fortunate enough to have a job when I was in college. But then in law school, I was, you know, borrowing 30 or $40,000. Like I didn't pick a school based on cost, which was stupid. Uh, probably, right? Like a lot of people have to do that. And I never, I didn't think about it, which is strange, right? I mean, I wanted to live in Chicago and I just, and I did it. But um, so I didn't really start worrying about that until I was getting close to graduating. And, uh, you know, my wife now, who was my girlfriend at the time, like trying to figure out like, hey, I have to like provide for this other person as well. And like, that's like a scary thing. Um, and then on top of this, I was really into online poker, which um, I had friends who were making six figures playing poker. Uh, I was a winning player, so I ended up doing quite well in general. And so all of these things were kind of coming at me. Um, and the last thing that I wanted to do was really be stuck in an office making, you know, X amount of dollars per hour, which is, you know, obviously attorneys, they do well, but it's really all based on like how much you bill and, mm -hmm. and things like that. So um, I think it was, I was, I was, I was scared I think I became scared to the point where I was like, I don't want to do this. I kind of feel trapped. And 
fortunately I found this way to make enough money through poker. It was ultimately affiliate marketing and poker, mm -hmm. but I basically took advantage of people I knew and things that I, that I did to basically pay off loans. And then it was this kind of immense feeling of like freedom to do something that I wanted to do. I didn't know what it was yet. Um, but I knew I didn't have to make a huge salary to pay off my loans. And, and, and that was, I think a huge, it was, it was both lucky and fortuitous for me to, to get that out of the way because for a long time, that was about 2007 when I graduated until like 2000, maybe 12, I probably didn't make that. I probably didn't make more than like 30 or $40,000 in a year and maybe even until like 2014. So like for a long time, I made no money and just made enough, to basically pay myself enough to like survive on like half of a mortgage because I was living with my, you know, my wife who became, became my wife in, at some point later. So like that was, it was a long process of like basically living really lean um on my you know on my own and luckily my wife does you know ended up doing well she's in sales and she you know continued to get better so it like made things a lot less stressful but for a while we were you know we were all in multiple times on like different houses and different things like to to try to figure that out yeah that's that's definitely interesting like what i guess to kind of already bring it back to like do you think and i don't know if you put any thought to this but just kind of myself piecing these together. Like, do you think seeing the sort of, um, seeing and experiencing the turmoil from um, seeing like your parents go through like the dot-com boom and seeing that sort of help provide you with like the confidence and sort of like the light at the end of the tunnel, like when you were going through your own sort of turmoil to like say, hey, this is possible, we can make it out? Yeah, and I think it was also, it was also one of those things for me where like a family business and again, it wasn't like, you know, my, my family was financially well off when I was younger, but it wasn't like, I mean, they, I mean, my dad drove a minivan most of my life. Like they wasn't like crazy. It was just like it provided for us. Mm -hmm. And this seeing that turn into nothing in what seemed like overnight, obviously it wasn't, but I wasn't like deep, like deep into the business by any means. Mm -hmm. I think that was a little bit eye opening for me to realize that, as good as things look or, or or can be from the outside, like ultimately, like you need to be able to control your own destiny, whether it's people losing jobs or people, um, you know, or businesses going under, you know, through apparently no fault of your own, right? I mean, obviously there's things that could have been done differently, but it's it was like more of like a macroeconomic issue than like, oh, like we mismanaged and like yeah. overspent or like, yeah. you know, not smart. So. So thinking about it that way was very was like a kind of an eye opener for me in terms of like what do I want to do and what can I control and I've always been really uh, thoughtful about like controlling my own destiny in terms of in terms of what I'm doing and I think that was you know living through that and kind of seeing like the the frustration and pain and 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 all the you know the the issues that arose like made me realize like I'd rather just do things my own way and. You know, I, you know, living in Michigan, again, you can do it pretty inexpensively. Like why, why, you know, like that's why one of the reasons why I came home, right? Chicago is way more expensive. I couldn't afford to live in Chicago, but I could afford to basically live in my parents' basement, which I did to basically figure out what I wanted to do. And then I just figured I'd be more happy that way than like doing something I don't want to do. Yeah. And so um, moving in a, in a different direction now. So uh I, I was telling you this a little before we started, but um, I consider you as one of the OGs of the Detroit startup ecosystem. So can you kind of like walk us through like 
as you were starting ambassador, as you moved back here, like sort of what year was it when you moved back here? I moved back in 07. 07. Okay. Yeah. yeah so like, I mean, you witnessed like the, the bankruptcy and like, you know, GM and Ford and like yeah. all these companies. So like what, um, like what have you seen, like the growth and, and kind of like the, what a lot of people call the Detroit Renaissance. Like, how have you yeah. noticed that growth, both from your perspective, growing ambassador and eventually exiting, and, and also just kind of like a third person point of view? Yeah. So it's funny. It and it's it's amazing. I mean, first of all, I think it's amazing, and the the growth of the city specifically is awesome. I mean, it's awesome. Like the energy here, it's it's night and day. Um, I was actually very very interested, and with a buddy of mine as well, like in, in actually like really trying to help promote the city of Detroit and getting and, and, and investing and doing things that are happening now. I mean, there was no there was no realistic way we could have done this, but we actually put a lot of plans in place and met with a lot of people and and did a lot of fo- like kind of legwork. Uh, my buddy ended up, um, you know, consulting for some folks who are doing a lot of stuff down here, but we ended up we couldn't pull the trigger. We couldn't figure out how to get the money and the resources, but um I think what what I started realizing when I moved back was, and and, and again, I think the funny thing is living in the suburbs my whole life, then moving to Chicago, like I, for the first time, I remember thinking like, I understand why people have iPods, Hmm. right? Like iPods were big in like 2005 and it was because, oh, people are like walking and they like don't want to hear like the city sounds. Like I never even realized something that simple when I lived in the suburbs because we had a radio when we were going places, right? And then you like realize like there's this whole all my friends are moving to cities and they want to walk and you totally realize like this could happen in Detroit, but a lot needs to change. And so um, it's awesome to see that that's, that's happening. Um, and that also led me to think about where do people want to, where are people going to want to live if they like do end up in, in Metro Detroit? So that's why I moved to Royal Oak um, and now I live in Birmingham, but they're two like walkable places and a lot of young professionals are there. I think have the same uh the same kind of thoughts. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it, I think Detroit, again, seeing it is, is awesome. And and I'm, I'm not surprised. I think, um, I guess to answer your question a little bit of, of uh, you know, kind of the, gr- the growth and trajectory of, 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 the, of the startup scene, so to speak. It's one of those things where I think we're just starting to see um, you need to have some big wins. I mean, a lot of people talk about investment and investment helps. Um, I'm a believer that you do need some investment or some resources or some support as an entrepreneur. And I think that was a lot harder, you know, when, when I was starting up and luckily I did have a lot of people that, you know, uh, helped us, Mm -hmm. uh, a lawyer named Andy Basile, like gave us free office space in like 2009 when his law firm like shrunk because the economy was so bad. And I was in the office space along with a bunch of other entrepreneurs. Um, and had a couple different people that gave us free space, which was huge in the beginning. Uh, and he ended up being an angel investor and, and which is really cool. Um, but to, I, I think with, with duo and, and, and some other big companies, but especially duo, um, in Ann Arbor, like selling for a significant chunk of money. I mean, to me, that's, that's what you really need to have the kind of the repeatable success. So mm-hmm. seeing these big companies where they're making, you know, they're minting dozens or several dozen millionaires, I think is what you need to, to grow. Like, so that's, I'm excited. I w- I wanted Ambassador to be that. Unfortunately, it wasn't that that successful. Um, but I think we had a lot of people who realized like if they put in a lot of hard work and um, and they you know they can they can earn something from the equity as well as like a really cool learning experience and 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 again still growing. So 
um yeah so it was all over the place but no no yeah. totally so like yeah i mean i agree i think like duo is definitely a really good example to point to especially just um for future entrepreneurs like seeing people who have succeeded um and especially like people like doug who's uh, doug and john they're they're very community oriented like doug i mean just you just scroll down his linkedin you'll see like he sits on the board of like this nonprofit, this you know other companies and so it, it's definitely something to like look at and look towards um and so for for your uh company ambassador let's let let's kind of like walk through that. Like yeah. when you were starting it, um, like what was like, have you pivoted? Like what was the journey like to when you started it and, and now? It, yeah. And so when I started, and again, this was kind of before there was all this literature and blog posts about technology and startups. Literally, it was like, okay, Jeff is starting an internet business. Like that's how I thought of it. And I had actually several, I had like several ideas I had no technical abilities in terms of like writing code. And so the only way that I could get something done was to basically pay, you know, I, you know, outsourced a developer to build this thing that I thought of. And so I actually had like two or three things that I probably spent a few thousand dollars each on. Um, and, and, and as I was going through one of them, I said, you know what, how can I put this affiliate program on this, this other website that I, that I was thinking about doing? And the guy and the guy was telling me and he was like, it's going to cost like five grand. And I was like, five grand like that's can I just build I'm like for five grand, can I just build the product uh, and then sell it? And he's like, yeah, you could. And so that obviously didn't cost five grand, but it ended up saying, well, why don't I just build a product to serve this need instead of, you know, building this by scratch, which, again, isn't the smartest way to do things. I know that now, but back then I didn't know anything. So we did it and basically just started building a new product. And so I literally had like two or three. You know, again, these are like air quote startups, just really ideas that were really MVPs. And I realized that I thought Ambassador, which was at the time called Zferral, which was a crazy name with a Z kind of related to referrals. I don't know. Um, and I thought that had the most potential. And that was what, what I ended up starting with uh, or went with and focused most of my time on. Um, and that was probably like 2009. Oh, when you started it, it was kind of like deep into or at least like session had just hit so so what was like the mindset there was it still okay like have did you ever think about like getting a job and still running ambassador sort of on the side as you were building it or so it's funny so i didn't because what i was doing at the time was as i mentioned when i moved home i thought if people are ever going to move back to michigan uh, and my wife already had a job or she was my fiance maybe or just becoming my fiance at that around that time so she had a job and she liked her job and was doing well so at the time for me it was like all right i'm gonna be in michigan like what do I'm, how can i make this place like better or more like how i want want it to be and i realized that again like i wanted to be in like a walkable cool area which was like we lived in royal oak so basically bought a house in royal oak and the whole and like the most and, and to back up a minute, the most important thing I think I learned in law school was this semi-obscure uh, uh, tax law that was uh, if you live somewhere for two years as your primary residence, you can sell your house and not pay taxes on the gain, hmm. um, which most people living in Michigan, they unfortunately houses like didn't go up like in most other states and, and locations like house values went up through the 80s and 90s and people that had lived in the same house made a significantly more money 
And unfortunately, in Michigan, through the recession, like most houses haven't gone up that much or like they were relatively flat. Um, but they were so depressed when I moved back. Uh, like in Royal Oak, you could buy houses for like fifty, sixty thousand dollars when I went in like two thousand eight. Uh, so I got my real estate license and was like going to flip houses. So that was actually like what I was doing to make money. It was super risky still, and I knew nothing about it other than like I'd seen shows on like you know HGTV, and I'm like I can do this, right? And like people would be like, "How do you know what to do?" And I was like, "Well, I could look at YouTube and like figure out how to like tile a floor. Like it's not, yeah. it's not. I wasn't good at it, but it wasn't like impossible, yeah. right?" Um, and so that was like what my job, so to speak, was. But I had so much free time because I had my real estate license, like which was easy to get. I was an attorney, yeah. um, and and so I had access to like these homes and and uh, tried to like raise money from people to buy homes and 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 to and to flip them basically. And I started. I had a couple houses, and one of them was mine. And I was like, told my again my 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 wife now, hey, we'll live here for two years, then we'll sell it, and we'll basically be able to pocket all this money, and then we can like flip it into another house, and we can parlay it and. And that's what we ultimately started to do. Um, but at the time, I I didn't really think about doing like a traditional job. And honestly, I was scared that I wasn't qualified to do any jobs. I mean, I, I never had, I had small jobs, but I never had like a professional office environment job. Uh, even in law school, over the summers, like I played in the World Series of Poker and like I didn't, I didn't get like a summer internship. Um, so I had like, although I passed the bar, I had like no practical legal experience whatsoever. And I was like terrified uh, to do that. And I didn't really know what else I was qualified to do, to be honest. I mean, that, you know, so that was, maybe I was just like too nervous to do anything else, but I never thought, I really never thought about it. Entrepreneurs, change makers, and visionaries need someone who will identify risks and opportunities and provide fresh thinking beyond just preparing tax returns. Over the past 42 years, MRPR has partnered with businesses from multiple industries by providing a full range of accounting services and business advisory expertise, helping these businesses thrive and grow in Michigan's challenging and ever-changing economic environment. MRPR's advisors will help you navigate every part of your business and position you for growth the right way. You'll get real-life insights that come from MRPR's experience helping entrepreneurs reach their goals for over 45 years. Learn more at MRPR.com. Real simple, folks. With that, let's get back to the episode. Yeah, but like it's so interesting because like you translated that nervousness if it was present yeah. into number one getting your real estate license, number two learning how to like fix up and flip a house. Like that's really like that's ingenuity. <laughs> like yeah. that's that's something that I don't think anybody would really think of until like you actually kind of like oh you know I I recognize this. This is like this is totally an opportunity. And, and also total kudos to your wife for like like going through that with you because like man that's like that's scary. It's like, oh, hey, yeah, we'll live here two years. Cause like, typically I feel, um, and I mean, I'm pretty young, so I don't know the general consensus, but typically I feel it's like, so sort of normal to, to go to a house. And like, once you're in a house, you like live there forever, you right. know, like you grow up in a house, you have kids in a house. It's like, you pass it down. Like, so, so it's really interesting. And like, again, kudos. Cause that's, that's definitely like a, like an interesting, not necessarily trying time, but definitely it, it, it 
I would imagine put some some sort of like, you know, you want to question it to some extent. Sure. And and I definitely was super lucky that my wife trusted me and had kind of faith in my crazy ideas. I mean, and I remember, and again, I remember so vividly that conversation in that class where they, I literally was like, wow, you can, you can make more money. Like assuming you make a hundred thousand dollars a year and you pay taxes, like let's say you end up netting like 75 K, right? Um, you could make 75 K on living for living in a house for two years. I mean, you know, it's like, and then when I, when I realized that I was like, wow, like that's crazy. Uh, I never knew it. And, you know, and, and so I was like, you know what, I think I should, we should always supplement you know, whatever we have by like buying a house and then selling it. And in hindsight, it we did it one time and then we moved and we like, again, like we went, we, we, we got the house that we wanted and like, we haven't moved yet, you know, because we're like, we love our house. So yeah. like, it was easy when you were, when, you know, when we were in our, you know, early twenties or mid twenties and now that we're older and we have like dogs and we have all these like memories, you're like, oh, I don't know if I want to do it anymore. Um, but I think like the, the idea I think is, is actually a pretty, it's a pretty savvy financial idea. Um, but I did, I did, I got really lucky. And, and again, um, you know, I, I've talked about it in a couple, in a, in a couple of different podcasts, but I did have this like time with my wife that I remember where we, I told her, like, you realize what we're, you're getting into right now in terms of like me trying to, to build this company and trying to start this company or like, you know, do this. Um, like I remember saying something like, you realize you can't get mad at me now about like finances, right? Because <laughs> like I'm like I'm not bringing anything to the table. Yeah. Um. And I think that's a. I think it was, it was it was hard for me to say, but it was much harder for my wife to agree to, and then actually not hold it against me. Yeah. Because that's for most people like finances is like the toughest thing. And for a long time, I and mean, after we moved into Royal Oak, we accidentally and this is like a first time homeowner, huge mistake. Like we didn't realize that like we didn't roll our taxes into our mortgage to like save like $20 a month. And then the tax bill came and we didn't have enough money to pay it. Wow. And I remember we like borrowed money from like, you know, her sister and like, like we eventually paid it back. But like we had, we're like, we don't have enough money to pay our taxes. And like, that was how tight it was for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she was really good about that. You know, she was, and, and ultimately she ended up like doing better in her job and it became less stressful. And I ended up paying myself at some point too. I remember, you know, the other turning point for us was uh, when money wasn't going out, like when I was just not spending money, like basically mm-hmm. we covered the money that I was paying because I was paying like developers to write code. And, you know, we were not only, lo- not only was I not making a salary, but I was actually spending money every mm-hmm. month. And that, you know, that's, that's a pretty big drain. So when that stopped, which was great, um, you know, kind of stopped the bleeding. And then from there it was, it seemed like we had enough, you know, for what we needed to do. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's an awesome story. (laughs) So, okay. Um, like kind of applying sort of your knowledge and building ambassador, I know you had mentioned in your blog post, um, as you were uh, moving on in, in this sort of transitioning period, um, like what would you advise to companies getting um, getting themselves off the ground, especially now? You know, they uh, we're in you know pretty good time economically speaking, but you know, on the horizon is sure. probably going to be some sort of uh, tough time. You know, bear market, and sure. so um, what would your uh, advice be to future or fellow entrepreneurs that are inevitably going to go through this rough period? Yeah, the the number one thing to me is to control your costs. And 
and and you know i think on first of all i think entrepreneurship is not for everybody um the number one thing that i see that that i think is is tough is when people say i need to make so much money if you need to make so much money, then like being an entrepreneur is the worst idea for you. I mean, this is like to be completely honest. There are lots of ways to make a certain amount of money to make. And, and usually it's not by working for yourself, right? Like working for yourself to me is the ultimate like long term proposition. But realistically, you should probably pay yourself last. Um, and 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 at a certain point, you can pay yourself a lot more than maybe you deserve. Or But but that usually comes way after very lean times where you're probably making nothing or you're the first to not get paid. And if you can't do that, it's okay, but your the chances of your success are just way, way, way less. And they're already really small, right? Um, so the one thing that I would say is, you know, position yourself where you can live extremely lean and 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 be be able to pay yourself as little as possible because ultimately, if you whether you self fund or, or or you raise money, like money is going to be the biggest constraint that you have to grow the business or to to survive. And if you if you need to spend money on things that are not pushing the business forward, then you're ultimately in a worse position. Um, so for again for us, like I was fortunate, I could live in my parents' basement for free. Uh, my wife made some money, so we could like pay for like food and stuff. Like you know, it wasn't I wasn't destitute, which is again I'm lucky. Like other people may not have the same support. Um, but that was, that was like necessary. Like we would have died multiple times. Like we were down to multiple times down to four figures in the bank. Mm -hmm. And even as recently as, you know, right before we raised money, we were down to like tens of thousands or $10,000 in the bank for a company with like 15 or 20 employees. But I always knew that, Hey, if someone doesn't need to be paid, it's going to be me. If, if I can float the payroll for a week, if needed, I could do it. Uh, that quickly changed when we had more people. I could I was like, well, there's no way I can float like a even a payroll for a day or two. But those are things that you need to think about, in my opinion, to to ultimately grow the business. So that's by far the number one the number one thing is it's going to be a lot more work than you expect, and you'll probably make a lot less than you want. Yeah. So you know, looking into the future, kind of taking this theme, um, what kind of companies would you want to, like, are you looking at? Are you kind of like, what industries intrigue you um, that, you know, you're just kind of a fan of, but also you uh, would like to advise and potentially invest in no specifics, but yeah. kind of like just general industries? Yeah. So there's two, there's a couple ways I'm thinking about it. One is where I think I can be really helpful. And I think the things that I've learned the most and have really spent a lot of time thinking about over the years is, you know, growing teams and dealing with uh, people and culture and, and really going through the gamut of, uh, you know, having, you know, the entire kind of range of emotions of like working with family almost to working with people that are like frustrated, working with people that are extremely excited and, and all those things that I think happen over the life of of, of a decade in, in working with people. Um, so I feel like I learned a lot there and it can be really helpful. Uh, I also feel that I can be really helpful from like a SaaS perspective, especially like enterprise pricing and dealing with customers. And I spent a lot of time really on the on the sales side of things. Um, I really spent, and, and I guess on the, you know, dealing with customers and customer issues and, and stuff. So I feel like I can be incredibly helpful there. So that's where I think I can add the most value. Don't necessarily know if I want to do it again or like be like in the thick of it <laughs> right. again. You know what I mean? Like I'm still, I think 
enjoying like not being so stressed out. But things that I'm also thinking about just generally that I think are really interesting is um, I think there's some really interesting, you know, thinking out like five or 10 years in the future, like what what is the world going to be like when I think I think autonomous driving like will happen and like thinking about how what what changes will there be right like will it change like insurance laws will it change like um and even politics like i'm not super political but i just think it's really interesting that there's a there's like this huge polarization in politics right now and i think there's a lot of opportunity to do something pretty impactful i don't know what that means and i'm but like i like i think just personally like i'm wondering if there's ways to to do to do politics better i guess in one way you know what i mean so like um that's kind of a, a little bit of a tangent, but that's something that I've been thinking about and just wondering, like, could I spend time like helping trying to figure out a, a new framework for how we do things? Um, I also think, again, a, a big theme is is going to be secure. I mean, obviously, security is super important, but even mm-hmm. even more so just like, you know, thinking about kind of all the issues with Facebook and yeah. and, 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 and and even just like, you know, like crypto and all those things of where well, there's a lot of interesting um, you know, opportunities. But again, I, I have no expertise other than I just think it's really interesting. Yeah, definitely. Um, real quick, uh, sort of a tangent on the politics thing. There's definitely, um, there's, a um, there's this sort of company or group, um, that was actually founded at Michigan at the university of Michigan. And their platform is essentially sort of just like a place for college students to come just like, talk politics and like yeah. a safe place and yeah. i think that's really important because i think at the end of the day like the first thing that really has to happen is conversation because yeah. i think conversation um will lead to collaboration and i think like that's what we need more than ever is is not anymore you know fighting fire with fire but more so like hey you're a human being i'm a human being we have different viewpoints let's talk and if i I think this wraps it up. There's this quote I forgot who said it, but um, we should di- we shouldn't strive to disagree less. We should strive to disagree better. Yep. And I think that's really that's really like apropos. I to- I totally agree, and I and it, and I agree. I don't think it matters like what side of the aisle you're on necessarily, or even if you are on the aisle, right? Like I think there's like so many different viewpoints. It's more of how can we just do this in a better way so that it's not and maybe you're maybe it's just magnified because you can read twitter or the comments yeah. right or <laughs> or whatever but it's like man like the i think they like I, I agree i think there's a there's a better way to debate and discuss and collaborate and and i think it should just lead to better outcomes right i think that's that's the goal yeah definitely and um sort of taking a conversation we had from before we started recording uh talking about billions yeah. uh the tv show billions on showtime uh this is not sponsored by them by the way <laughs> uh, but taking that into taking that sort of conversation you had mentioned sort of like early in your career you were sort of um more so kind of like the like hardcore like let's get into this and and kind of um like from a fan's perspective and like you had mentioned you know you went to state and so when you were kind of like younger you would be like all right i hate michigan with my absolute guts and like that makes sense um but my question is like as you've grown sort of as a person like what has been um one of the biggest life lessons that you've learned and taken away that you can impart on our wonderful audience yeah that's a, that's a good question and you know, I think one of the things you learn and you and, and to me, it's like you're I'm still learning 
Um, but you really kind of realize, at least I did, is that you grow up in this, like, you're, you're in this bubble, right? And, like, when I remember when I got to, you know, from, you know, a suburban, like, West Bloomfield High School to, like, you know, oh, you know, going to Michigan State, there's just all these different types of people and different interests and different hobbies and things that, you know, there were more people like you, but also lots of people, like, way more people not like you. And, and, and to me, like learning and seeing that it was, it sounds weird, but it was like, it was, it was, it was obviously interesting, but it was like eye opening too. Right. I think you just like, you know, seeing and hearing other viewpoints and, and learning other perspectives. I think that's just one thing that I've personally just tried to focus on uh, a lot more was just reading about things that I didn't necessarily agree with and like understanding the viewpoints and like hopefully making myself more well-rounded. And I feel like I've spent a lot of time um, doing that over the past few years. And um, ultimately I think it's just, you know, for me, it's, it's made, made me like more compassionate. It's made me more understanding of, of viewpoints, which you don't agree with, or, um, and I think like, just like less black and white in terms of, you know, like, I guess like the, the conversation started where I was like, you know, I used to be like such a diehard sports fan that I would like hate the other teams. And like, I just feel like, again, like hating like a team is just such a stupid thing to do. Kind of like I like I get it right as a fan, yeah. but like I just e even like I just I don't know the things that you live through and the things, the experiences you see and the, the people that actually have like real problems or real issues. You realize like those are so much more important than like sports yeah, like or it's not that big a deal. <laughs> right. You know, it's like not life and death. Like it's like something I care about or like like to do as a hobby but um you know and even dealing with like a business right like mm -hmm. you know like one of the things that i used to tell people you know obviously you hear about a lot of personal and family issues that come up which are horrible um and people would like you know say something and people and and, and you'd hear about these things and you know whether it's like disease or sickness or you know deaths or divorces like all these things happen and you're just like man like at any given time there's like five or six of these things happening and we were only 40 some people it wasn't and you're like, man, that's like so much more real than mm -hmm. sports, right? Or yeah. than TV. Um, and so for me, you just because I have access to that, it makes you realize like that's that's kind of the stuff that matters, much less, you know, sports or, or like a riot, some other rivalry. So it's hard for me to get. And I think in some ways it's, it's a little bit sad because like you, I'm not as passionate about those things. But um, I just feel like there's bigger fish to fry, you know, and it's like let's focus on more important things like relationships and, and, and people and things like that. So uh, definitely has made, it's been, a, it's been a weird change for me uh, where I used to be like the most diehard uh, passionate sports fan. And like, yeah, I still care, but it doesn't like, usually doesn't like make me mad anymore if we lose or it doesn't make me as happy if we were to win. Although in Detroit, there's nothing, there's not too much to be happy about right now. So yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that goes into my last question, but before we go to that. Um, where can our wonderful listeners find you, reach out, um, read your blog, et cetera? Yeah. So um, I'm on. So my tw Twitter is uh, at uh, Jeff underscore Epstein. Um, I'm on Medium. Say, I think same or Jeff dash Epstein, one of those two. Uh, I use the same like avatar across. So hopefully you can recognize <laughs> me. Um uh, let's see what else. LinkedIn, obviously. Um, you know, so so you can find me on there. My email is is on there as well. Um, you know, happy to help. I've had a lot of people reach out since uh, my blog post, and you know, um, I would say the one thing that I think makes sense is definitely reach out 
instead of just cold LinkedIn me because it's really hard to know like I might, it's like a pet peeve for people to like just like LinkedIn requests and then just try to sell me something. So usually I don't accept unless I know the person. Um, so if you're interested in connecting, you know, definitely, uh, you know, shoot me a message um, or put something in the content of the LinkedIn yeah. thing versus <laughs> the other thing I don't check. I checked for the first time, I think in like six years the other day was Facebook Messenger. Oh. So apparently that's like a way that people like reach out all the time. Really? And so I had like 30 unread LinkedIn messages, or sorry, Facebook messages. messages. And I was like, whoa, this is kind of crazy. So yeah, maybe might not be the best way for me. I'm just not a huge Facebook person, but uh, uh, definitely, you know, LinkedIn or Twitter. Twitter is probably the best or email. Um, and I, if you want to get a hold of me, like there's a million people in the area that know yeah. me too. So they're all, yeah. I'm sure they all can make an intro as well. Yeah, for sure. So last question here, I asked this to the majority of my guests. Um, but sort of taking into account like the conversation we had today and just learning more about your growth and, and what you kind of see for the future for both you, um, your family, um, your, your business endeavors, your professional life. Um, what is the impact that Jeff Epstein wants to have on the world? Loaded question for sure. <laughs> um, I mean, I think, you know, I, I would love to have a positive impact um you know do it do i think that i you know what we used to say at a master talking to people was you know we we wanted to and we think you had the ability to like change the trajectory of people's lives and i and i and i do believe that right i think like people have been fundamentally better off um while working at ambassador hopefully and learning the things that they learned and i think like hopefully that can change the trajectory of like how they work or how they live or how they lead or whatever so that like to me that's you know I, I think I've seen some of the impact of that and it's been exciting on like a very micro level um I'd love to say that that could become bigger and whatever if I do something next or help people achieve greater things that would be amazing um but yeah I, I think you know ultimately you want to leave it a better place right and I think um you know hopefully I have a lot of time and energy left to continue to to, to do things and make things better. But um, I think if I do put a lot of time and energy into something going forward, it will be hopefully something that can make a bigger impact than what I've done so far. That's kind of my plan. Yeah, awesome. And with that, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right, everyone. That was Jeff Epstein, founder of Ambassador. If you're listening to the show, odds are you'll love the lineup at Intermittent. Speakers include local, renowned experts like Duo Security's Doug Song, Backstage Capital's Monica Wheat, Build Institute's April Boyle, and so many more. Tickets cost $100 and can be purchased through the link in the show notes or on intermittent.org. Use the discount code PODCAST for $10 off your ticket during checkout. See you there.